I don't care how long you've been coaching. I think you and I both know that you can learn a lot from your kids. You know, they're in the moment. They're the ones that are playing the game. They're the ones that see things on the level they see things. Welcome to the Jamoti Podcast. We are all surrounded by amazing coaches and leaders. So let's get an inside look at not just what they do, but how they do what they do. After all, becoming the best versions of ourselves is Jamoti, just a matter of doing it. Today, we are joined by the head men's basketball coach at the University of Texas at Dallas, Terry Butterfield. Coach Butterfield has been a college head coach for 33 years and has 533 career wins. During his 22 seasons at UTD, his teams have played in 19 conference tournaments and captured four conference championships. The Comets have secured seven trips to the NCAA Division III National Tournament, including three Sweet 16 appearances and one Elite Eight appearance. Coach Butterfield is an eight-time ASC Coach of the Year and D3Hoops.com Coach of the Year in 2019-2020. Before we hear from Coach, take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on social media at Jamoti Podcast. There you are, Coach. Hi, bud. What's up, my friend? How are you? Oh, man, I'm great. Thank you so much for giving up your time, and I, I'm honored to have you on here with me. God bless you, man. Thanks. Great to be on with you. Just... Hey, we never get to see each other enough, you know? So right. uh, if we got to do it uh, with technology, then so be it. We can Zoom to, to further the, the friendship and the, the relationship, no problem. I'd rather see you in person to be quite uh, Oh, yeah. <laughs> I get that. One regret, or I, I would say more of a goal of mine by the time I'm done coaching is to have at least one player uh, go play for you. Uh, I think that would be just, that'd be a blast. Uh, it, it, you know, with uh, the training he gets from you, uh, he'd be well. Uh, he'd be he'd be all the way ready to to get on to the next level. And I know you got a good one this year, and we just have not made it over yet. But we're not going anywhere, and I know you aren't. Uh, yep. So we're, we're going to get there. Love it. Yeah, I thought I thought we had when I was at McKinney. I thought we had one, and maybe AJ Mutri thought he thought we had a chance with him going to you, and I, I thought that would have been really fun. But well. Um, my time grows short, Maddie, but um, it's not over yet. <laughs> that's right. How do you teach leadership in your program? Well, that's a that's a great question, and I think that's sort of the essence of what it's all about. Um, you know, I learned a long time ago, you know, doing this that if if the kids don't feel like they have a vested interest, as everything emanates from the head coach. And the kids don't feel like they have a say or have a role, and it's just the coaches feeding the kids all the time. It doesn't work very well. I think any group dynamics discussion would tell you that uh, the people involved in the group have to have a vested interest in the outcomes and whatever it is they're doing. So leadership starts, uh, you know, almost immediately for us when the kids arrive on campus. And, and what I mean by that is they get to see the upperclassmen sort of take charge of the whole proceedings. Now, as you know, at my level, at the Division three level, we can't start officially with the kids until October 15th. And I mean, we can't be on the floor or do anything with them at all. I mean, once October 15th hits, we're good to go, but as soon as the season ends, uh, they're back on their own again. There's no you know, a couple of hours a week to work out or summer program or any of that stuff. 
So anything that happens for us uh, between the time school starts, which is generally late August and October 15th, has to be driven by the kids. And that mm -hmm. means our upperclassmen. So we have a little system that I like to call our group leader system in there. We choose three or four kids every year uh, who I think have real uh, tendencies toward leadership. And it, it might be a senior point guard. It might be, interestingly enough, this year we have a sophomore for one of the first times ever. Doesn't always have to be an older kid. But we have four kids that, that I sort of uh, have take charge of everything that we do as it involves all the players. And we, we meet right away when school starts. Uh, they're chosen by myself and my assistant coach, Jared Fleming. And we just say, hey, we want to invite you into this special circle. And this special circle involves you, uh, a couple of your uh, teammates, and the coaching staff. And we meet every week, sometimes more than once a week. Uh, we talk about all the goings on in the program. Uh, I listen to what they have to say. If they say, hey, coach, you know, we've been eating at Wendy's a lot. We want to eat McDonald's this week and things like that. I, I try to let them make a lot of decisions in the program where they have a vested interest. Um, I had a kid the other day say, coach, smart kid. Uh, he says, um, can, I, can I be frank with you? This is in the group leader meeting with the coach. Can I be frank with you, coach? Well, sure. What do you got on your mind? Coach, sometimes, you know, when we get going up and down, you know, you blow the whistle too much. There's too much interruption. There's too much fragmentation, you know, however he presented that. So I'm like, hmm. You know? <laughs> and uh, so now uh, I'm trying to do better with that because I think he made a valid point. And uh, I check with him. How'd I do today, James? How'd I do today? Coach, you were good today. You know, you didn't really disrupt us that much. And, I, you know, it's real easy to get going and break everything down and blow that whistle and not let them finish stuff out. Right. And uh, I don't care how long you've been coaching. I think you and I both know that you can learn a lot from your kids. Mm -hmm. You know, they're in the moment. They're the ones that are playing the game. They're the ones that see things on the level they see things. And I just think it's important to have a system where the kids can give you feedback. Now, on, on the other side of that, when they come in to me, you know, I'm not afraid to lay it on them. I'm like, hey, you guys, that was a terrible practice yesterday. And you guys did not do the job. You're in charge of monitoring the practice. I don't want to be the head cheerleader. I want you to take hold of that practice. And you don't have to be me. You don't have to use my leadership style, but there's four of you. And by golly, you guys, you're in charge. And, and, and if this happens again, I'm coming for you for first. And we do that with everything. We're talking, if I go in the locker room and I don't think it's clean, I'm coming at them. If I don't think that we're moving from drill to drill quick enough, I'm coming at them. If we're having breakdowns and we're not with it mentally, I'm coming at them. We also uh, do a mandatory study hall in the fall for all of our new newcomers, you know, particularly freshmen. Uh, when they get from high school to our level at, at UT Dallas, boy, it's like a sucker punch because it's the real deal. You know, we have uh, the best and the brightest at our place and sometimes kids don't handle that very well. 
So my, my group leaders run an evening study hall several nights a week. And again, they're in charge of making sure that it, it is uh, as I want it to be. And uh, I check in with them about that. What's going on in study hall? I, you know, I, I don't get involved. I mean, if I got to go over there, it's going to be a problem. But the kids do a great job. Kids want to be leaders. Kids want to be led. And I just think that a great culture means your kids have, have to be vested in the process and they have a, have a vested interest in everything that goes on. Now, there are some things that, you know, uh, they can, uh, and I tell them this, guys, you know, you can, you, can, uh, you can tell me things that are, you know, you think it should be ABC and I'm just gonna shut you down and say, it's, you know, I'm, the, I'm steering the ship, it's gotta be this way. And this is the way, and I try to explain why. But I want those guys to be the real go-between. Go I know at the football level, you know, they talk about the players committee. I guess that's pretty much what we do. Hmm. But, you know, if kids don't feel like they're part of the process, I don't think they're going to give you what they're capable of giving you. And uh, I think that's worked really well for us and been a very important part of our program. Yeah, I, I, love, I love that system that you have in place there. And, and I think it automatically makes me go back to especially uh, younger coaches wanting to come in and micromanage, make every decision, uh, not allow for any input. And sometimes it's maybe because they're, they don't want to be seen as a weak leader because they're looking for you know, input or, or, or not advice, obviously, but, but feedback from those players. Um, but I, I think you're right on the money with what a great culture you have, dynamic culture when, like I love the story you said about the, the player telling you that, that you're blowing your whistle too much. One, right. to me that speaks a lot about you as a leader, the fact that they, they feel comfortable enough to bring that up to you and that, that, that you actually thought about it and, and, and are still learning after, I mean, it's 21 years, 21 seasons at UTD. That just started in 22. Just yeah. Coming on 22. I so, just think that's really impressive. Well, and you know, the kids have to develop a, cult, a, a comfort level to be able to do that, you know, because, you know, I, I, I don't think that they question who's in control of the program and who's going who's gonna to lead us up, up the mountain and things like that. Yeah, because um, there's a fine line there between yeah. – you, yeah. you you still have to, like you said, steer the ship. You don't you can't have them running it or, or or being in total control. So fine line. But you know, kids are smart and 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 kids will come at it and see it in a different perspective that than you. And then, you know, something like that, we discuss it. So, you know, I, I, I as as it so happened, I said, uh, do you other guys feel this way? Am I and you know, shaking her head, yeah, coach, you know that. And then we talk about it. I have my assistant coaches in the room and the, and, and the group leaders are in the room. We talk about it. And, you know, it behooves me to listen to what they have to say because uh, their opinions are valid and they have good ideas. Again, these are smart kids. These are invested kids. I think it, I think it behooves any coach to listen to what their kids have to say going forward. And I don't, you know, if 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 you're if you're a strong enough individual, getting advice from your players should never be threatening to you. Hmm. I I don't know about you, um, 
I can name several situations in the heat of battle in ball games where, you know, I'm drawing up something or talking about something and some kid will say, Hey coach, what about this? And I had a great idea. (laughs) It's a great idea. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, It's way better than my idea. (laughs) Uh, I didn't realize we had still had a timeout. And why didn't somebody tell me that? You know, I mean, uh, kids given that opportunity will really come through for you, I believe. And, uh, um, it's fun watching the freshmen and the underclassmen watch the upperclassmen take on these roles because they know that there's a good chance that it could become their time in later years. And the kids learn from each other. You know, they, I don't have to do a lot. And we talk a lot about leadership styles and, and we talk about, hey, there's four of you guys. You guys, there's strength in numbers. There's nothing like peer pressure. What you say in that locker room and what you say when I'm not there and how you present yourself and how you approach certain individuals, that's huge compared to, you know, the coach-player relationship. Um, As as I've I've heard and believe so strongly, players in a great locker room have to hold each other accountable, don't they? Mm. Players have to say, hey, 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 you're not working hard at it today. Let's go. Either that or get off the floor. Now, you know, it's funny, Matt, in this day and age, kids don't like to upset the apple cart with each other. You know, they, um, you know, I, I think guys should be one way in the locker room and outside, but once they cross that line and they come onto the floor, there needs to be strength and accountability, and they shouldn't be afraid to go to each other and make them accountable. I think too many people duck their heads mm. when a guy's acting up or he's not giving his all. It's too bad we've lost that in our culture a little yeah. bit. And when I find that happening, I will bring those group leaders together and, and I will say, hey, what about so-and-so? There's a problem there. Now I'm gonna give you four guys a chance to corner him and talk it through and tell them what needs to be done. And if you can't handle it, I'll handle it. But it really, it'll be a lot more effective if you handle it versus if I handle it. So I'm sort of the, I'm sort of the last guy in the chain. But how effective would it be uh, for four upperclassmen to come into the locker room and in their own way and yeah. with their own style, just really say, hey, hey, we need to talk to you, man. Look, look. This, you know, what, what you, how you're representing yourself out there isn't what's best for the team and best for our culture. We, we, need, we need it to be this way, and we'll help you get there, okay? I'll also, what I do, just to, you know, I, I hope I'm not squeezing, uh, you know, the blood out of a turnip here. No, this but is good. This is good. Another thing that I'll do is when the, seat, when, when the kids come in uh, to start the school year, We'll break them down. So I'll have, I'll assign one group leader for every three or four players, just to, just depending on squad size. And I'll say, your job is to make sure that these guys are accountable. You're looking out for these guys. And I'll always sign a couple of new kids to each guy. Hey, you need to check with him. How's he doing? Is the food okay? What's his roommate's, is, 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 what's his roommate situation? Is he homesick? Did he just break up with his girlfriend? Yeah. You know, that mentoring kind of thing 
that an upperclassman can do with an underclassman can be very valuable because, you know, you and I, we can bring a kid in and we can push and push and push. And we're never going to get the same sort of feedback sometimes, not all the time. Um, oh, but from peer to peer. Yeah. Right. Right. Feeling like you've got a brother on either side of you that you can truly talk to and open up to. And then, you know, we'll have discussions about the kids when the group leaders come in. And I'll say, well, how's so-and-so doing? Yeah. Well, how's this guy doing? How's that guy doing? What are you feeling about this guy? And I get their feedback. Now, some coaches may not want to go that far. But I think it's amazing when we talk about personnel with our group leaders, there's almost always consensus. The way we're seeing it is oftentimes, and in, in, in most cases, the way they're seeing it. And that validates what I'm thinking or feeling because, you, you know, we can get it wrong. Yeah. You know, we might be thinking it's this way and it's really this way. And, and, and they, of course, straighten me out when I, I'm seeing things not quite the way they're seeing it. Uh, no, no, coach, you, you know, he, he, he's a good kid. He's doing fine. You just, no, nah, you're not, you know. So, uh, so I think that breakdown in that mentorship between the upperclassmen and the underclassmen is really important for the, for the underclassmen. And it's important for me to get the feedback from them because, you know, you, you know, Matt, you know, you might, there might be a kid in your program that you can really get after. And, and when you get after them, Boy, it just makes them mad and makes them play well. And there's other kids you can do that. You might lose them for a whole week. That's right. He comes through that door with his tail between his legs. You know, every kid's different. Every every kid's got a different switch. And uh, trying to learn that about each kid with the help of your upperclassmen, I think, can be a very valuable tool. Yeah, I, I, that you nailed it right there. Because I'm trying to think of all those times where or how many things throughout a season of one guy with 12 individuals, 15 individuals, how many things fall through the cracks? How many times do I not know what's going on outside of basketball with a kid, but it's affecting his play and either I'm blind to it. I don't see it. I don't connect the dots, but I also don't have anybody else, uh, you know, as uh, an extension you know, to be able to get deeper to where the things that truly rise to you are the super important things. And those smaller right. things, you have that group to those individuals to, to really help you. One, one question I thought of was, you know, in your years of doing this, and I, I don't mean to, you know, go the negative side because oh, what if this happened, what if that happened? But have you ever had, here's a guy that we chose as a leader and we had to change. We had to we had to move him out of that group. We had and then another guy kind of emerged and we brought him on. Like this guy just because I have seen some kids they don't want that responsibility or they don't want the leadership that you're really talking about there. Some you you're you're absolutely right. You know, um, some years your leadership group is just flat better than other years. You know, we've had some years where and and I really man I really think that there's a true connection between the strength of your leaders and the overall success of your team. I, I really believe that. And I can go back and almost, we, we've never had a, we've had some really great teams, but I don't know we've ever had a great team with mediocre leaders, you know? And I just, I just think there's just a strong connection. Now, I've never had to just run a guy out of the group that way, you know, okay. but, but I've also been disappointed 
when a guy had many opportunities to step up and really extend himself into that position, he was okay just sort of being quiet and staying in the shadows and not, you know, not really investing himself in the process. Now, again, you know, there are some guys that you choose as leaders that are very rah-rah, let's go, and vocal and aggressive. And there's other guys that are much more passive and behind the scenes. But that doesn't mean they can't be great leaders. Like you right? said, though, there's different styles to it. Yeah. Totally. And, and you know, I, I, keep, I always try to stress to the kids, don't try to be me or yeah. the guy sitting next to you. Be yourself. But understand that the things you say and the things you do on and off the floor, they see every bit of it. You know, if you're not willing to try to finish first in every sprint, when you see that guy sort of lagging behind, don't go up and ask him to be accountable because he's already seen you right. and he knows you're not accountable. So we really talk to the leaders about being beyond reproach. Yeah, that bar is set really high, really yeah, high for them. Yeah, you better be first in line on the drill. You better be running from drill to drill. You better win that sprint. You know, you better be the one stepping in and taking the charge. You know, there's just so many opportunities for a guy to show great leadership, you know. And a lot of times at the end of practice, uh, you know, I'll check in with them. We'll be in a big circle with all the kids. And I'll say, hey, group leaders, what do you, what do you have to say about today's practice? Or uh, what do you want everybody to know about our ball game tomorrow? What do you what, speak to the group? And then, you know, some guys shy away and, you know, some guys can't wait to get, you know, their opportunity. So, you know, you got to work with everybody within their personality. And I've had some really nice kids that led by example who probably could have done a lot more if they were willing to sort of come outside of their own skin. And sometimes that's just tough to do. Some kids just don't have it in them. But I still think it's so useful to have them there. And, and, I, and I have been lucky. Uh, the, the way that we've processed and chosen our group leaders, we've never had to, to do that. Now, I've had, you know, I've had problems with group leaders where there was uh, unfavorable conversation on the floor uh, in a tense moment. And, boy, we have to talk about that now because, you know, if, if the other kids see you, uh, you know, in that vein, what's going to stop them from doing the same thing? So, you know, I tell the kids all the time, look, if, if, we, if we have an issue, you wait until the coast is clear. Come up to my office. We'll yeah. shut the door. If, you know, we have to hoot and holler a little bit, and, you know, we have to really exchange some, some tough ideas, then we'll do that. But there's a time and place for everything. And you've got to be man enough and strong enough as a leader to take the hard coaching that's coming at you and then coming back later and say, hey, coach, I think you were wrong on this one. Let me tell you. But not, not in the moment. Yeah, not in the moment. And that you're yeah, right. That does moment. take a, a special type of player, mentally a mentally tough player, uh, to, to, to go through that. One thing I love that you said is, is how you, you kind of – you basically meet them where they are in their style of leadership instead of trying to – because I think sometimes when you hear about culture-building programs – it's trying to fit everybody into this cookie cutter mold as a, you're either a raw, raw guy, or you all have to be tough. But what I love about your group method is guys bring your strengths, maximize your strengths and then stretch yourselves if you can. But I, I like how you meet them kind of where they are. 
Well, and it's an interesting, like just for the example this year, you know, every group is, their makeup is different. I got this sophomore who is just a real savvy, um, engaged kid who brings people together. Um, he was hurt a couple of Saturdays ago and we had to get up real early in the morning uh, and practice due to some gym conflicts. I, we had to be on the floor at 7.15. As we broke the huddle and I said, hey, I got a wake up call coming to every guy at 6.30. I'm gonna be on the phone. I know I can't practice now. I'm on the phone. You better answer your phone when I call. It's a sophomore. That's unusual to me. Uh, he, he, he's just a real savvy kid, you know? And I've got another kid that's very loud and boisterous and he wants to coach the other kids. And sometimes I have to just say to him, hey, look, I love the message, but you got to tone it down. You got to leave that tone for me. Yeah. That's not for you. You've got to yeah. be more, you know, player oriented. And uh, I, I've got another one that's very quiet. I'm always trying to get him out of his shell. Uh, but he's a good leader on the floor. But he's he, he's sort of behind the scenes. So I think everybody brings strength. But what I love about what we do is there's power in numbers. It's not just one guy. I know a lot of teams opt for a captain or co-captains. Yeah. You know, I, I know that's a value. But, you know, if you have a captain and he, and he doesn't deliver on the leadership, then you're really sort of stuck there. I, I love the idea of three or four individuals who can sort of come together as a group and, you know, talk to guys together, talk to guys separate, two group leaders. To, you know, I, I think there's power in numbers that way. And, um, you know, and, and, and listen, you know, it's not our best player. It's not the leading scorer. It's the guys I feel have the best ability to encourage, motivate, and communicate with their teammates who really make the biggest difference. I, I, have, yeah. I have a junior this year <clears throat> who I think should be a group leader. Okay. And he's not. And I brought him in and I said, how, how sad that you're not a group leader. And yeah. here's why you're not a group leader. And you should be a group leader. And by golly, going forward, if you're not a group leader as a senior, I'm going to be very upset. And here's what you have to do to get there. So, you know, that's another facet yeah. of the whole thing. Coaches, the Jamoti podcast is powered by Biology. What's your BSA score? The Biology Skill Assessment is the only verified skills metric endorsed by the NIA and NJCAA to discover and develop the best talent for your team. This 10-minute, 100-shot test can be taken for free today on the Biology mobile app. Elevate your game. So you guys, uh, I love the, your offensive identity that you have and you, the way that you shoot the ball and the emphasis that you have on that. Uh, what are some ways that you help your players or teach your players uh, shooting confidence? Well, I think the first thing you have to do, one of, one of my biggest deals is, is identifying for the kids what's a good shot, you know? Um, I, honestly, I think we let kids get away with murder in this day and age. There doesn't seem to be any such thing as a bad shot anymore. Now, I don't know about your group, but you know, we don't all shoot this ball the same. And, um, you know, I think the main thing that we really try to stress is if you're going to take a shot, I want you to have vision, meaning a clear-cut look at the rim. Yeah. And there's got to be balance. 
in the day of TNT and NBA basketball and all this one foot stuff, you know, and, you know, guys fading away and jumping up here and coming down five feet over there. At my level, I don't think we're good at stuff like that. I don't think we get guys that can, you know, glide through the air with the greatest of ease and, and, and knock down shots. So we're constantly talking about what a good shot is. It's got to have vision. That means somebody's not just skying up over you and really taking away your vision and having balance where we can go up and reasonably come down in the same place. Yep. Because I think when you slide and you move horizontally, it changes your ability to see the rim. It changes the shot. Your balance for sure. All yep. the time. Yeah. Now, every once in a while, I think you run into a kid that they can do that, you know, and I don't try to take that away. But the first thing is we're going to, end up, we're going to identify what a good shot is. And then yeah. we're going to talk about that. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, um, Freshmen have a way different idea than I do about what a good shot is. And I think there's a downside to that. I think that sometimes, you know, if you get too, if you get too restrictive of them, uh, they can look over their shoulder a little right. bit. Start playing um, tight. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. What's he going to say about this one? What's he going to say about that one? So I think there's a real balance there. And I think you got to feel every kid out, you know, but Living with bad shots has never been something I've, I've, I've done well. Now, uh, by the same token, I would like to, I think when a guy's had a little bit of a history of taking bad shots, when he takes a good shot, I really try to praise that guy. Yeah, celebrate really the good. To, hey, yeah. hey, hey, that's the shot. Yeah. See, right there. And, hey, I don't care if you missed it. You go back, and next 10 shots you get like that, you shoot it. And if you don't shoot it, I'm coming over and tackle you right on, <laughs> right in the middle of practice. Okay? I want him to know I want him to shoot a good shot because he is a good shooter. So, you know, that way um, – and particularly with young kids, you know, when it, when a young kid misses a shot uh, for me and I see him, you know, he starts shaking his head and his, 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 he gets wrinkles on his forehead and all that stuff and he's mumbling to himself, I stop that right away and, I, and I'll say, hey, are you a good shooter? Okay. I, yeah, I'm a good shooter. Well, then good shooters don't worry about what just happened. They don't worry about missing a shot or five shots or ten shots because they're going to make the next ten. And if I see you pass on that shot, then I'm going to come over because to me that's selfish because that's a great shot. Yeah. And your teammates and I believe in you shooting the ball like that. I think I think videotape's a big deal on that too. Brink, you know, you know, as they say, Matt, the the tape don't lie, right? And when you can show a kid, this is a tough shot. This is not a high percentage shot. Uh, and, and you know we. We're not worried about the volume of shots. We're looking for the quality of the shot. And when we take high-quality shots and shoot a certain percentage, we've got a better chance to be successful. Uh, you know, I want you to take a good shot, and I'm going to help you identify what a good shot is. And if you and I can't get together on that, that's going to make it tough on both of us, you know, yeah. because I'm not a guy over my career that's been able to sit there and twiddle my thumbs when a guy throws up bad shot after bad shot. Look, we know that kids in our game, there's an ego factor involved. Every kid thinks 
you know, he's bound for the NBA, even at my level. And, hey, I make this and pick up all the time, coach, you know, but when the <laughs> lights are on, you really don't. Yeah. You know, so I think confidence is a big deal. But I think if you don't break it down early for them and really show from the get-go what you want and, and, and how you see a good shot, it, it, you know, it's hard it's hard to build confidence when you're constantly, well, I don't think it's a good shot. Well, that hasn't been defined for you prior to. Yeah, I think it's really important. You nailed it early on that as younger players at, at high school level or, or even starting out in college, that they're not basing their game on the outliers of the NBA and what they do. Those, those guys that are so elite and, and so, what we happen to see in some highlight videos on ESPN or a mixtape on YouTube, that, that, that those small clips that we're seeing, we're not trying to emulate those skills that the millionaire who is an outlier of an outlier is the ability to do. The, for us to compare ourselves to them is just, man, that's, that's, uh, that's very we're overconfident right there. Well, uh, you but, know, Matt, those, yeah. those guys are inspired by what they see on YouTube videos yeah. and all that stuff. And I, I, I don't fault them for wanting to be able to do some of those things. I'm just telling you, in my experience, I don't really have, I haven't had anybody that I'm real confident in coming in and jumping off of one foot and not being on balance and drifting from point A to point B and consistently knocking down shots. So yeah. if I'm not, if I'm not confident and I don't feel good about it, it's going, and, and it's tough for me to live with, we're going to have to define what that means for you and me in a better way. And I think a misconception too is that they like Curry, for example, you just see the high, high amount of difficulty that he's that he's taking in games. But they're so good at the basic. They're so good when they're on balance. They're so elite at that, and they spend so much time. Like Curry's at the point now where I saw this the other day. Like in practice, he doesn't count it as a make unless it's a swish. Like that's how precise he is yeah. where rimming it in. That's a miss. I don't count that when your shooter coach, I would bet when your shooters are at the point where they're so consistent and they're so elite that only swishes count for them. And they're doing that at a high clip. Yeah. That they're able to branch out to do, but what the problem is when we go to that level first, but we haven't mastered the boring and the basic, that's where we run into habit with the players or run into problems. And, and, and Matt, I, I really believe that, you know, I, I believe there's got to be a certain amount of talent involved with a kid being a great shooter. And I think he can work himself, in, in my experience, I've never seen a mediocre shooter go to a great shooter. I've seen a mediocre shooter go to a good shooter. Yep. You know, a, a pretty good, a, a good shooter going to a great shooter, boy, that takes a ton of reps. And kids work at it, but I think it takes a certain amount of talent, you know, and, and I think you can refine it and you can build on that talent and become better. Yeah. But repetitions are everything. And, you know, I don't know. Um, in, in this, so many people want kids' time in this day and age, you know. Um, I don't have kids that have the time to spend two hours every day on the gun. You know, I have kids that come in and get shots up, but to take it to a different level, yeah. I think it's really hard to do. And, you know, 
I don't, I, I don't know how many kids you get, probably way more than me. They come in and they've got a, they've got a flaw somewhere in their stroke, you know, that elbow's kicking out, you know, we're short arming it, yep. you know, we're not on, you know, um, there's so many things. And then just trying to kid, get kids to break an old habit to start a new habit, you know, or to build a new habit is really difficult. Yeah. I mean, the odds that the odds that their form is clean enough and that they're willing to put in the time that it takes to become that level of special we're talking about, that automatically makes that path. This is very narrow. How many guys get to do that? I went to Duke basketball camp when I was growing up and Trajan Langdon was uh, was speaking at it. And I mean, I was just sitting there in awe of him, the Alaskan assassin. And he talked about what it took when he hurt his knee and he was coming back. He wanted to come back a better shooter than he was already darn good. And he he said, I shot 1,500 threes a day all summer long. And I'm sitting there and I'm just like doing that math in my head. Like, golly, that's seven hours of shooting. Like, you know, now you're right. There are so many distractions now. And there's this whole idea, too, of working smarter, not harder. I do believe you can maintain your level or maybe get a little bit better, especially if you don't have impurities or, or anything right. messing up your form with a, a 30 to 45, maybe an hour's worth on the gun with purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the kid, yeah. I, I totally agree. Totally agree. You can absolutely get better. And I, I would not that I would not want my thoughts on that to be misconstrued, but I don't know many guys that are, you know, uh, 25% uh, three-point shooters that are moving in that 50 range or in that high 40s yep. range. Uh, it's just really hard to do. I'm not saying it's never happened, you know, but again, I think shot selection and understanding what a good shot is, is paramount to a guy being the sort of shooter he wants to be. And I think another th- thing that's really big is, you know, understanding what your limitations are. You know, if you're a really poor shooter outside the arc, it behooves you, and you're really good inside the arc, let's really build on your strengths. That doesn't mean let's not address your weaknesses. Let's keep working at that. But understand what you do best, and let's play to that, you know. And and nothing drives me crazier than watching a guy go 0 for 10 from the three-point arc, and, and he's got an opportunity to catch the ball a little closer to the rim where he's a lot better, and he doesn't take advantage of that because in his mind he's a three-point shooter and, uh, you know, and all that stuff. I just think that, you know, you gotta, you got to understand what your role is as well. And, and, so. and being great at that, ex- accepting it, being great at that. And because I think so many times maybe in the skill development world, it's, you know, you got to have all of these skills. You got to have, you got to have a three, you got to be able to finish at the rim. You got to have a step back. You got to be able to handle a little bit. And, and there's the amount of players that are, are special at everything. Golly, that's yeah. a small list. And I, I mean, I, I, I felt that a little bit at, at when I, you know, and in, in, in college, uh, you know, there's a faster, better point guard than me. There was a guy at the shooting guard that could shoot better than me. There was a stronger, bigger, tougher, small forward than me. Like the, so I felt at times I really, I would have rather been special at something really dedicated. You mentioned like build on my strengths and, and be special at something rather than what I was kind of a jack of all trades, master of none, which, yeah. Well, you and I have a mutual friend down at Baylor, your alma mater, Bill Peterson. And he talks all the time with longtime NBA guy. 
you know, with the Bucks and the Mavs and a couple of others. And he said, in the NBA, there are these handful of elite players, just elite. They can do everything and anything. That's why they're elite. But he said, if you look at on NBA rosters, the reason why guys are on NBA rosters is because there's a unique skill or talent that they have, whether it's rebounding or defending or whatever it is. They're not all elite. So when they start slotting guys to be on their teams, it's because a guy has a special skill set. And if he can do that to the max of his ability, he's going he's gonna to earn a contract. And dumb it down to our level, you know, um, I've got a kid on my squad right now and didn't shoot it well as a freshman, went home, worked his butt off. He's come back to us. He's a little better. He's a little better. But he's, a, he's just a voracious offensive rebounder. And he's a pretty good defender. And he's a tough kid. We got to find a spot for a kid like that. And, you know, we're going to keep working at the shooting and things like that. But that's not going to be his forte. We're not going to run sets for him to get behind a screen and get a three-point shot. We've got some other guys who can do that. But we're going to put him in, in, in other positions to help him be successful and to really build on his strengths, which just doesn't happen to be the three-point shot. And I think that's what the NBA is all about. You know, you take these elite guys who can do it all, and then you slot in guys who have a special skill and can do a certain thing. Hey, now, you, now you're cooking, right? Yep. Yeah. One thing you said before, uh, once you establish shot selection, what is a good shot for them, then it enables you as a coach to protect their confidence when you see, because so parents will say, or kids will say, oh, coach took my confidence or coach, coach, I, I need you to build me up and bring confidence. You and I know that it comes from preparation and they yeah. deep down know what they're capable of or not. But when you see a player that has established what a good, you've established, he's established through his work ethic and results, what a good shot is, when you see him slump, when you see him shake his head, then as a coach, you get to come over and protect this confidence by saying, hey, don't worry about that. You're a great shooter. But yeah. it, it comes from that shot selection and knowing what that is. And, and even if he's not a great shooter on that particular day, he's got to leave the floor knowing he's a great shooter. It's an aberration. You know, it's just, it, it's, it's just a, it, it's just a one-time thing. And, and the next day it's, it's going to be better. And uh, he's going to get back to being who he is and, uh, you know, helping him to get that identity and to really wear that identity as, as, as a premier shooter or whatever his specialty is, it's a really big deal. And, you know, again, I, I think leadership can really help in that. You know, when a guy comes off the floor, he's had a bad day, those four group leaders going over and putting their arms around him say, hey, man, you're a really great shooter. You know that's just – you know that ain't happening again. Yeah. You know that next time uh, you, you get the ball, you know what's going in. And because, you know, it's really – you know, confidence is sort of a flighty thing, isn't it? It's yeah. – uh, you know, you got to – Guys that can, can keep their confidence through the toughest of times are really pretty strong mentally, aren't they? Right. That's, it is, that is what it comes down to. They'll probably be successful. I think great shooters that are mentally tough, they'll be successful in whatever they choose to do because they understand delayed gratification, that it's going to take a long, long time to work on this thing to be good at it, and they're going to understand that there will be peaks and valleys, but they're able to sustain and be uh, 
be confident and calm throughout that whole that whole ride. Yeah, yeah. And again, I think your talent, your technique, your shot selection all molds together to form a great shooter. And once you've sort of reached that status at, at whatever level, your level, my level, the pro level, it, it's up to you as the coach to make sure that that confidence and that security about his identity doesn't go away yep. and whatever we have to do. And, you know, if I, hey, if I see you pass on a good open look again. It's just like a turnover. You know, just you, like you a turnover. It, you do it in a way that elicits a positive response for yep. the kid. You know, it's not a, it's not a negative thing. It's a positive, but it's you saying, look, man, I believe in you. Yeah. Don't you dare pass on that shot. We need you to take that shot. We want you to take that shot. So I think a lot of it is just the psychology of it, the mentality of it. You know, I don't have any special drills that we use that I don't have any epiphanies about, you know, how we go to a room, rim and we do this and we do that. And all of a sudden you're a great shooter. Yeah. Boy, I wish I did. And if you have that, please share it with me. Okay. <laughs> The Jamoti Podcast is powered by Sideline Interactive. Sideline Interactive is the leading manufacturer for high-quality, innovative scoring tables and LED video display boards that help coaches and schools bring more excitement to fans, create huge fundraising opportunities, and make their jobs easier. Visit sidelineinteractive.com to check out their amazing products. You know, one thing, um, I think there's some similarities between your level of, of basketball, especially with the restrictions you talked about before, how after their season's done and then not, and then you have to wait all that time until October 15th and you can't yeah. touch them. You can't train them out. Uh, we, we get a, we get an athletic period. So we actually might, I, I probably have more. It's insane, right? I have more time with my high school guys than, than you do with your guys, but great thing. yeah, you know? I think what might be interesting though is so, especially during the summer. I mean, and even, at, I guess, at private school UIL, we do have some hours that we're allowed. Uh, but what are some off-season expectations that you have for your players? Well, that's a great question. Um, I, I think most coaches do this, um, it, but I think it bears repeating. We'll give the kids, when after our last game, we'll give the kids a couple of weeks off to, norm, normally by the time we finish, we may have a week of school and then a spring break or something along those lines. Uh, once they come back to school, we're meeting with every kid individually. And we just, we lay it out there. Those, those player meetings are very important because it's an opportunity for them to tell us what they thought about the season and what they thought about their own individual development during the season. But boy, it's a great opportunity for us to say, you know, I really like this, this, and this, but hey, this has got to get better. That's got to get better. And I think that the thing that really brings it home to kids is uh, really laying it out from the perspective of the pecking order. You know, hey, hey, you know, look, next year we got this guy, we got the, the, this guy, we got this. Hey, and don't forget about this guy. <laughs> now, now let's just talk about everybody's individual gifts and what they all bring to the table. Now, if you're going to be in the mix next year, you've got about six months to work on your own. And you know we can't work with you, but we can encourage you. We can give you things to do. Yeah. But um, when the lights aren't on and you're by yourself and it's Friday night 
you got decisions to make about what you want to do uh, because six months will go by quicker than you can possibly imagine. And you're going to be right back in this competition. And where you fit in is going to be completely up to you. Okay. You get beat out, you get beat out. Go look in the mirror. That's where the answer is going to lie. So we'll give them a, a list of things that they must do. And to be honest with you, I think that the kids at our level do a pretty good job of getting in the gym on their own. Hey, look, you're not strong enough. You've got to get in the weight room. Um, and they do. Uh, you know, if, if you want to take these types of shots, you got to show me uh, that you can knock them down in a better way. Um, hey, look, your foot speed isn't what it needs to be. We're going to play man-to-man defense. You've got to be able to find a way to stay in front of the ball. And if you're not working on that, then, you know, I, I, I can't guarantee you um, where you're going to be in the scheme of things for us next year when October 15th hits. So uh, that, that player-coach meeting is a big deal, and we're very frank with our guys. Yeah. And it's amazing, Matt, more – I'd say 90, 98% of the time, the player agrees with the coaching staff. They know. They know where who they at. are, yeah. what they are, where they fall short, where their strengths are. There's very little um, There's very little conflict usually in those. Where they're sports. surprised by, by what you're yeah. saying. What? <laughs> yeah. Once in a while, guys will, will they'll zing me like, I didn't see that coming. And, yeah. And I have to set them square. Um, and you know, the thing of it is that when there is conflict and he sees it this way and I see it that way, well, I'm the guy making the decisions about who's stepping on the floor for us. So you need to sort of come over to my, to, to, to my side of things, because this is what has to happen Hmm. in order for you to be successful next year. And, uh, I, I think that off season is a really important time for us, even though we don't get our mitts on them. I, I wish we could. Okay, that, that's what I was going to ask you, um, because just to give some uh, perspective, I was at uh, the TABC board meeting a few years ago, and I was the private school uh, kind of member, uh, you know, representing all the private schools. And so we're sitting around with a bunch of public school coaches, and they're talking about, this was before UIL gave them any hours, they're talking about, you know, not getting to train their kids during the summer, and here I am we've always had, you know, a certain amount of hours a week we could train. And so my first year at faith, I had the gym open five days a week. I had a plan that I was going to take them through. And my numbers went like this, a bunch of kids the first week. And as that summer went on, they didn't want to see me every day, hear me every day and be trained by me every day. And, you know, and it, you know, a little hurt to a hit to my ego, but, uh, but, you know, but my, my thought, what I've seen over the, the years that, there's something about the disconnect that's good where they're not, you know, around you every day, hearing your voice or being, having you train them every day. So, so you kind of made a comment a second ago, you wish you could have them more, but what do you see any positives from great season? Here's the meeting. Here's what you've got to get better at. And then that kind of freedom. What do you think? I, you know, I, I'm I'm sure there is a positive to that. I know by the end of the year they're sick and sick and tired of me, and hearing from me. So, um, you know, one of the things I love, the 
the silver lining is we put the onus on them. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'm not force feeding you this stuff in the spring, summer, and fall. And, and as you know, the Division Two and the Division One guys really have the kids all year round. But you know, it's really, and I've heard it described as really sort of a job. You know, it is a job. You know, yeah. you're getting scholarship and you sort of belong to me. I've had some Division Two transfers that have come to me and, you know, they, they didn't want to have basketball 24-7, but, you know, there's so much time between the end of our season and the start of the next one. Um, they have to be the guys who decide, you know, what they want to be and who they want to be as college basketball players. So the, so, so the impetus is really on them and how bad they really want it. Yeah. And if you come back to, to school and we start practice and you're the same guy that you were when you left, you know, I'm going to tell you about it. And, you know, you come in my office and you want to know why you're not playing. And I'm going to say, hey, well, I just, I just don't think you're any better than when you left us. And that bothers me. Uh, you know, there's not a real buy-in there, it turns out, because you couldn't find time to do things to get yourself ready to be more competitive this year than what you left me last year. And that's always tough, you know? Coaches, the one thing that every team needs is confident shooters. The last eight years at Grapevine Faith, our teams have averaged 354 made threes each season. I love getting to share with coaches how our shooters train, and more importantly, how they think. If you would like to enhance your shooting culture at your school, Contact me directly at jamodipodcast at gmail.com. You know, Matt, at our level in Division Three, that there are no scholarships. The kids are there because they want a great education and they want to be, they want to continue to co compete with the lights on in uniforms and, and play for a championship. And, and that's a great thing. But they also have a very, they, they have a very strong academic program they're involved in. Yeah. They want a little bit of social time. We're not paying them to play at this level. So it's a good balance. And I and, mean, that's the division yeah. three philosophy. It's about the student over the athlete. Okay. So that perfect. I, I've never asked this question to any, anybody before. And so years ago, uh, it was, I mean, way past Baylor and, and after Coach Bliss had kind of resurfaced and was doing a lot of stuff with Athletes in Action, uh, he actually came up to faith and, and was at my very first practice here nine years ago. And, and so, you know, we had kind of uh, reconnected and he, he told me, and I can't remember how it came up. He said, Matt, you know what the best, where the best jobs are in America in coaching? I said, no, he's like, it's not D1, it's not D2, it's at a, at a great D3 school. And, and, and I thought that was, a, that was interesting coming from him with his, you know, uh, the experiences and, and the career he's had. So my question to you is, what does make D3 basketball so special? That's a fabulous question. I appreciate you asking it. You know, I think that, uh, you know, guys at my level and programs at this level, you know, they sort of live in the shadows. You know, it's the uh, minor leagues of college basketball, so to speak. And, uh, you know, I've sort of taken on the opinion now that other than these power five conferences, you know, that we hear about all the time, that we're all minor leaguers, just different types of minor leaguers. You know, Matt, I'm a D3 guy, it turns out. Now, I've worked at D1, I've worked at D2. 
but D3 has been a great fit for me um, because of the kinds of kids I get at my place. Um, and, and I know this because I keep track of you on Facebook. Uh, there's nothing that pleases you more than a kid that's moved on out of your program and going to school somewhere and then he graduates and he's got a great job and he's doing, you know, seeing kids go on and be successful in life. There's only a, there's only a small portion of guys are ever going to earn any money playing basketball. That's a, that's a slim and none opportunity. Yeah. And watching these guys grow and develop and have some balance in their life is probably the most satisfying thing that I do. And when they come back to me years later and they're doing fabulous things and they have families and they have young kids and they, you know, and they still have that great connection to basketball and the, and the adventure and experience they had. That's just, it just fills my heart, yeah. you know, to do that. And what we see in the media is not, what I think real life is, you know, I, I, I just think that there's a heck of a lot more to be gained by the kinds of kids I get to work with yeah. and be around than, Hey, this guy's coming. He's going to stay one year and he's going on to the NBA. You know, I, I know there's a place for that in this day and age, but it's not for me. I, I get to be with these kids for four years. Um, I get to know them and their families you know, uh, uh, very well. Um, I get to really follow along their academic interests. I had a kid who, who played four years for me, he just graduated in the spring. He's in biomedical engineering. He never made a B. Wow. Okay. And in biomedical engineering. So I won't tell you about, you know, his intelligence factor right now. He's in a doctoral program at UTD and he's helping to run a lab, a research lab. And he's like all of 22 years old. He's helping to run a, a, a lab. And I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, <laughs> uh, really? Yeah. I got, a, I got a guy that graduated with a mechanical engineering degree years ago. And he got his master's at our place. He's working. I got a knock at the door at my office one day. In walk these two guys dressed in uh, suits. And they got a big badge on that says Department of Defense. Hey, we're here to talk about so-and-so. Uh, we're doing a level five clearance on him. And I mean, they asked me, they spent two hours asking me the darndest questions. And when I see him now, you know, he's all over the world uh, for a defense contractor or whatever he's doing. And he'll say, well, I was in Australia last week. That's cool. I'll say, well, what were you doing? Coach, you know I can't tell you that. You know that. That's all I, can tell you. I, I can you tell know, you, but that's cool, man. <laughs> that is cool to me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. To have a guy that I coached who was in that particular position in his career and in his life, and I've got a million stories like yeah. that, and it's very satisfying to me. And I really do think, in so many ways, Division Three has it right with the balance between the athletic endeavor. Yeah. And the academic pursuits, you know, and, you know, Matt, it's so funny. We, we do a lot of, we've scrimmaged some D2s over the year. Even the D2 guys think they're all going to Europe and playing pro ball. And it's just so competitive to do that. I'm not saying some don't or, or some but do. The odds, are, the odds aren't in your favor to, but, to do you that. Know, yeah. To not be passionate about your degree and to not really follow through 
to put yourself in the best position to have a great career outside of basketball. I think that's a real mistake, and we just don't see that yeah. at Division Three. I don't have to want guys to class. Yeah, you know, I, I don't have to uh, suspend guys for missing class. I got guys that come to me and say, "Coach, I cannot miss this class. I'm going to be 30 minutes late to practice." Well, you know, there's no decision to be made there. That's yeah. what they came to school for. So I think I'm in a very, very unique environment. And that just so happens UT Dallas is one of the very finest schools in the country. You know, our average SAT is, you know, off the charts. And kids come from all over the world to be here with our computer science, engineering, pre-med, business. I mean, you know... When I came to UTD 22 years ago, I was an East Coast guy. I thought I'd be here three to five years. And I go back to the East Coast where I belong. We get this thing turned around. I, I find another opportunity. And 22 years later, it turns out that I just love the types of kids I get to work with. And they're just a lot of fun. And, and they're just as competitive as the next guy. No doubt. Yeah. But they also keep it in perspective and they have a real balance in their lives. And I think that that's, that makes it so much fun for me. I think I think it's uh, when I get to listen to players, you know, high school players talk about where they could possibly go. I think going to the, the highest level possible is very overrated. I think what's underrated is actually enjoying the experience. I don't think people put enough value in that. And so my when I was working for PGC for five years, a lot of the PGC basket instructors, so not like the directors like myself, but a lot of those instructors, they were almost all D3, some NAIA players. And, you know, it's funny, as a, the, the, the campers would want to hear about my experience. Played at Baylor. I yeah. tell them, yeah, running out of Kansas was really cool. But I didn't, I wasn't good friends with most of my teammates. Yeah. My coaches, I didn't really know them. Uh, it was a grind and a job, and I was terrified every day that I wasn't going to have my spot or my scholarship anymore. And I don't really keep in contact with anybody. Is that something? Does that sound good to you guys? And, and, but then these D three guys, when they would talk about their experiences, I love my coach, I love my teammates. They're my be they're some of my best friends. I, I you know I played because I loved the game. You know that movie for love of the game always comes up when I'm thinking about that. And yeah. and I think back like and I tell players now, I would love to have a story or an experience like that that I can share. Not the the few things that made what I did cool. It's it's not to me. It was it's not worth it. And so I I love I love getting to talk to guys like you and I love getting to tell players that there is a level of basketball out there. That's the right fit for you with people that care and with teammates that will, that are just doing it because they love the game. I think that's special. Yeah. I, I, I have an assistant coach who's been with me six years now. Jared Fleming played on uh, my elite eight team back uh, 2009, 2010. Uh, he was a good little player. So he's been my assistant for six years. We'll be up in the office watching film. And he puts his phone on silent, but you know that stupid thing still buzzes every time he gets a text. And his cronies, his, his college teammates, you know, somebody will say something in a group text, and that phone will just bzz, bzz, That's right. Bzz. And finally I'll have to, will you tell those guys to shut up and get <laughs> off the phone? You're, you know, you're screwing up my film session. And I mean, 
but that's how they roll. That's how they live. They, yeah. they live for each other. They do things together. Their families get together. Now, I think that's a great experience. And I think basketball is so much more than just basketball. It's an experience and it's adventure. I think about all the kids that walk around UTD every day who are in high academic pursuit, who will never have the opportunity to be part of a team like my kids do. And they, they have no idea what they're missing. They have no idea about the specialness of what it means to be on a team. That's sad for me, yeah. you know, because, but on the other hand, I'm so thankful for the kids we get. And I know that these kids, that their lives are better for being on a college basketball team. I, I truly believe that. So I've known you for, man, 12, 15 years now? At least, maybe At least. longer. Yeah, maybe yeah. longer. And so I, I know you, but after the speed round, I'm going to know you even better. So the speed uh -oh. round is going to be quick questions. First thing that pops in your head just comes out. You know, you didn't prep me for no speed round, brother. <laughs> Coach, it was in the original email. You know, now I make that email long. So assuming a lot of people, it's in the fine print. It's in the fine print. All right, All here right. we go, buddy. Easy one. Favorite ice cream flavor? Chocolate. For Double chocolate. Triple chocolate. There you go. For high school, shot clock or no shot clock? I think shot clock now. I, I, I thought I so. Texting. I think it's, yeah. What would you choose, texting or talking? Like, what do you like to do the most? Talking, man. Talking. Nothing All right. Like Favorite holiday? Lots of, I, I know that's the lightning round, but I just got to say, in our business, have we ever really had the chance to enjoy a Thanksgiving or a Christmas? That's true. You get one but, day. Hey, we're always thinking about what? We, the kids come back to practice tomorrow. That's we got to get it ready for a game in two days. You know, I'm not far from retirement. And honestly, I, I wonder what a Christmas feels like where the next day I can just eat and do nothing. You got nothing to do. Yeah. Right? Okay. So favorite holiday right now, I'm going to say um, July 4th because there's no basketball. I love that. If you could travel back in time, what period would you go to? period would I go to? Oh, my goodness. Oh, I think we got to go back to the colonial period, man. It was all getting started. What did this Very place cool. look like with without all the buildings and all the concrete? Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah, colonial. I like that. Uh, three more. Favorite childhood TV show? Oh. Um, Mannix. Oh. You ever seen Mannix? I haven't, but yeah. Saturday night. Okay. 10 o'clock. Yeah. Okay. And he was a private eye investigator. Okay. Go Ooh. go go look up Mannix. Okay. I will. I have another. I want I want to know this one for you. Uh favorite coach of all time. Could be any sport. So my father was a longtime division three college football coach. And at Ithaca College, his name was Jim Butterfield. And unfortunately, he's no longer with us. Uh, he won three national championships at the uh, football field at Ithaca is named in his honor. Mm. He's in the College Football Hall of Fame in South Bend, Indiana. My dad was my hero. There you go. Best coach I ever knew. Mm. If I could be anything like him, well, if I could just be half of him, I'd be pretty good. Uh, I, I personally, I, I don't, I didn't know him, but I, I think you've done 
a pretty amazing job. I, I, I should stop the speed round right there because that was that was awesome. But two more. Uh, how many cups of coffee do you drink per day? And that would be um, two. two. Okay, always two. two. Yeah. Well, I, I, how do you I drink it? Get... How do you Sorry. drink it? Well, I like to I tell you I'm a tough guy and it's just black, but there is definitely some cream and a little sugar sprinkled in. But I will tell you this, okay, since you did ask, I just recently purchased a French press coffee maker. Have you ever had a French press? I, I have had one, but the fact that you purchased one and you're, you start, well, you're, you're making your own. So you're, I, you know, I'm grinding some beans. Yeah. Some fresh coffee. And I'm going to bring you one, some of that one oh, day. Love that. Last one, Godfather or Star Wars? Well, I, I hate to say it, but probably Star Wars. Let's go. I knew it, Coach. <laughs> like I knew the force was strong with you. Do <laughs> not. Do not be uh, uh, embarrassed about Star Wars. I think most coaches say Godfather, but there's just so many parallels in stars with the light and the dark. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, uh, all that Godfather stuff scares me a lot worse than Star Wars. <laughs> I could deal uh, with a lightsaber, but all that killing and God, yeah. uh, Star Wars, buddy, uh, Star Wars. Oh, uh, coach, th this was incredible. Uh, I just, I've, I've, so, I've, I've appreciated your friendship so much over the years, and I, I love getting to learn from you tonight. Thank you so much for giving up your time. Hey, it's been an honor and a pre uh, pleasure, and you know, I, I love our friendship, and uh, may it burn bright forever, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for checking out today's episode. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast share it with your fellow coaches, and find us on social media for what's coming up next on the Jamoti Podcast. It's just a matter of doing it.